If you want this podcast free of ads, follow us now on patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It is time for the podcast and this has been, I think, one of the most consequential weeks in many many years. We sometimes overuse, or maybe we do overuse, that Lenin idea of there are decades when nothing happens, there are weeks when decades happen, which is a quote from Vladimir Lenin as he was going through Finland to the Finland station in Leningrad, which was then St. Petersburg, about to launch his revolution. And actually, he was, very, he was actually a good, good man for quotes, our Lenin. Was he? He was a very good man for quotes, but that point, John, seems to me, I'm going to kick off today, that I was watching this week Xi and Putin. Now, they might not have been watching me, but I was watching them. <laughs> I wouldn't be so sure about that. You have TikTok, don't you? I have TikTok. I do not have TikTok. I do not have TikTok. But they may not necessarily They're listening. They may They're not listening, necessarily Mike. be watching Always me, listening. but I was watching them. And what was amazing was the, the, the meeting between Xi and Putin, yeah. which absolutely cements the idea that Russia, which is something we spoke about a while ago, has become a vassal state of China. So many years ago, I was in Australia and I was in a place called Port Hedland. Yeah. Port Hedland yeah. is this bizarre place in Western Australia, in the Pilbara, right? And one of the Aussies said to me, we were talking about Australia, and he described Australia, it was a very, very good description, as Australia is China's quarry with a very good marketing department. <laughs> Which I thought was true nice, because yeah, China yeah. is one of the, or Australia is one of the world's most polluting country. Yes, and it is. Yet, and yet its marketing department works overtime about surfs and this and that and other. But he was saying that, but the point that he said, Australia is China's quarry. And it's very, very clear right now that Russia has now turned into China's petrol station. And what the Chinese have done, and Sasha, remember Kabanovsky was saying this yes. a while ago. Yeah, yeah. He was saying... Our big fear as former Soviet citizens isn't the West, it's China. Yeah. It's the border between Russia and China. It's the fact that Russians can't police it. It's the fact that it's unbelievably sparsely populated. There's 129 million Russians. Yeah, and Sasha talked about that border, the huge yeah, border. Huge. But Thousands how was, of miles long. But how it was kind of getting blurred and how the Chinese were moving into Russia, the kind of lower parts of Siberia and that kind of stuff. Certainly Siberia, but there's another part of Russia called the Russian Far East, mm. right? Which again is this massive, massive yeah. area. And that's where all the goodies are, all the yeah. minerals. And that's what the Chinese want. So it is amazing. But at the end of their meeting, this is interesting, there was an unscripted part. So Xi is leaving Putin and he says the following. 
because lip readers have, have, have this is what he was saying. Yeah. He says the following. So unscripted, he says, he grins at Putin and he says, change is coming that hasn't happened in 100 years. We're driving this change together. And Putin just looks and goes, I agree. So that was the last thing they said. Yes, boss. Yes, yes, boss. Almost yes, boss. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Ted. (laughs) Now, change is coming unseen for a century is well-known code in Beijing. Well-known code for them talking about the decline of the West and Europe and the emergence of China. So what, in a sense, Xi is saying is, this is our moment. Yeah. The first thing it does, one, this meeting, lots of people haven't picked up on it. This meeting absolutely welds Russia and China together in an anti-Western coalition. But this, was, this is huge. Yeah, this is huge. And and as Sasha was saying, this has been coming, though, for a long time. And G, G's a smart guy. Like, has he been underestimated by the, the West? I think very much so. Well, I mean, I think the West's opposition, so you know the way we always talk about this 30-year super cycle that mm. started, for example, in the Chinese case with Tiananmen Square. Yeah. So we're talking the 4th of June, 1989. So it starts then and it basically ends now. And our assumption was that this new China was going to be Western friendly. Yeah. That we were going to, even so much so that historians and geopolitical strategists and all talked about this notion of Chimerica. Yeah. That yeah. Chimerica was this idea that they were so economically integrated together that they could never fight. Yeah. So the Chimerica thesis, which is always why economists shouldn't be let near geopolitics, right? As a general rule, we should be Stay away from box. that stuff Stay there away from that stuff, that stuff that, it's like putchy, it's like putchy in for economists. Stay away from it. Even if you're at a funeral, stay away from it. Particularly if it comes out in the My Wadi bottle. <laughs> yes. Anything in the My Wadi bottle that isn't My Wadi, don't touch. And <laughs> no naked flames near it. No naked flames near it. By the way, for the non-Irish audience, putching is our moonshine. Yeah. Shocking stuff. I've only tasted it twice. And oh man, I've, I is, had a night on it. And I only just tasted. I just said, I'm not going. I'm not going to yeah. have any of this. Have you? Have you got? How oh, many? I had a I, in Donegal with Rocky's grandparents. We were up there for a weekend, and you couldn't leave the house. You couldn't go to the pub without having a couple of shots of Puccin. And, and you're uh, and your scooter. Actually, you're half blind going down to the pub. <laughs> so you're half blind anyway. <laughs> anyway, what the Chimerica thesis, which was very much the dominant thesis during, let's say, 2000s, the noughties, and then Mm. into the teens, was based on the idea that America and China are so interlinked, right, on trade and on the Chinese buying American debt that they could never fall out. And this idea was based on a book, John. You know, we like that book called The Great Illusion. The Great Illusion was a book written by a guy called Norman Angel, right? Now, the amazing thing is this. This was the best-selling book Mm. in 1908, 1909, and 1910. And it said that because Germany and England were so intertwined economically, that it would be such a catastrophic mistake to go to war that they could never go to war. It was updated just for pathos in 1913. And on the 2nd of August, 1914, they went to war. That's very good. So so the Great Illusion, well worth worth reading. Yeah, Uh, yeah. And the interesting thing with the Great Illusion is the guy who wrote it was originally... An acrobat in a circus. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that fantastic? He was the I'm John... surprised he wasn't a clown. Yeah, no, no, he was an acrobat in a circus, right? So it means you can have a... By the way, if you're listening, you're worried about your career, your career change. You can easily have a career change halfway, you know, all that sort of thing. But to get back to our major story today, John, the Chinese embrace of Russia means, number one, 
that nothing will weaken the ties between China and Russia under these two presidents. Now, what that means for Ukraine, what that means for Europe, what that means for the United States... And Taiwan. And Taiwan. But it means that the Chinese have now, rightly or wrongly, hitched their wagon with Russia. Now, Mm. so many people argued they shouldn't do this. They were taking the view, which was the Prussian high command said in the First World War, the Prussians were asked, what's it like yeah. being, you know, your great, your great ally with Austria? And they said, it's like being tethered to a corpse, <laughs> right? So the same sort of idea. We all thought, you know, why would the Chinese do it with Russia? Because of the land, because of the mass, because of the minerals. So do, let me ask you a question then. In your view, do you think this was a manipulated, manufactured situation? Or is Xi looking at the whole Ukraine war that's going so badly Putin is now in a very weak position. It's great for China. And he's going, here's my chance now. Yeah, I'm going exactly. to jump in. It's all about or timing. It? No, it's all about timing. Yeah. I think that obviously the Chinese view at the time was the Russians are going to win this quite easily mm, and we're yeah, going yeah. to have to deal with a rather pumped up, yeah. confident Russia. For the Chinese, the Russians impending or what looks like defeat in Ukraine is great because they're dealing, as you said, with a wounded animal. Yeah. And a wounded animal that needs mates and a wounded animal that has to look somewhere else. But what's clear is... That, that, and that's full of oil and gas. Exactly. Now, yeah. if you imagine that this is a vassal state, now, I've thought for a while, I think we might have said in the podcast before, that the war in Ukraine is the Spanish Civil War for our generation. Oh, go on. So the Spanish Civil War obviously fought between Franco and the Republicans, mm. right? But the Spanish Civil War divided the world. So on the one hand, Mussolini and Hitler allied with Franco. So it was very, very clear what side they were on. Yeah. And on the other side, you have the democracies allied with the Republican sort of leftist trend. Now, we didn't do enough to support them in the, in the truth. Mm. But actually what the Spanish Civil War did, it set down the marker for the Second World War as to who was on what side. And it strikes me that the war in Ukraine is like the Spanish Civil War. So on one side, you have China and Russia. Mm authoritarian, anti-democratic, incredibly dismissive of the United Nations, even though they always appeal to the United Nations. The idea, the first thing in the United Nations is you don't invade another country, right? Yeah, yeah. Dismissive of human rights, dismissive of LGBT rights, dismissive of all that sort of stuff. And on the other hand, you've got us, Western Europe and the United States. And the way it's panning out now is so clear to me that what Chinese have decided to do is say, that's it. And what it means for peace. You know, there was a lot of people saying, oh, China's going to Russia to elbow Putin and say, listen, do a deal here because mm. they had this peace deal that Chinese broke this yeah, deal yeah. with Saudi yeah. Arabia and Iran. Yeah. What they've done now is basically said, Russia, you can do whatever you want. So they're even there was, are there, in their communique, they said nothing about Ukraine. Yeah. They said nothing about peace plans. They basically said, we now have a relationship, Russia and China, entirely driven by China. And now Russia is going to be more emboldened by not just the vocal support, but also the military support with the supply of missiles and tanks and blah, blah, blah. Well, the Chinese are are, are at least saying that they're not going to supply what they call lethal aid to Russia. Yes, but, but I, they've said lots of things before. I, yeah, as well. I doubt it. And, yeah. But so basically what we're looking at is th- this is the new world. This is the new world. Mm. And we are on one side. And on the other side, it's China and Russia. And the interesting thing about China and Russia, it's a very attractive combination to other countries that particularly don't like democracy, that have authoritarian regimes, 
that have, have been looking for an alternative to an American-led world. Now this is like, okay, now we see what it's yeah. going to, now we see what's materializing, which is a petrodollar state, Russia, and the world's most supreme manufacturing state, yeah. China. And there's also an added strength. I mean, I, I'm not entirely sure how much you might have a view of this, but there is an added strength to the, the geographical nature of the alliance as well. Oh, being yeah. on the same landmass. Oh, yes, the same continent. You know, so, so compared to Europe and the Atlantic Ocean in between well, us I mean, and, and, and America. So that in itself has, a, has a, a strength to it. It has a strength because there's always been this bizarre, you know, sometimes in Europe we kind of have this notion of European foreign policy, but in effect it has always been what I call the Atlanticist foreign policy. Yeah. It's been constructed in Washington. The major... European ally of Washington is the United Kingdom. Mm. And it's been the Atlantic idea. And this goes all the way back to Castlereagh and this stuff, you know, we're trying to rehabilitate Napoleon <laughs> with very little success last yes. week. Right? Okay, well, we'll come back to Napoleon. But let's just look. So the economics of this is phenomenally interesting. Yeah. Because what it means is that the era of supply chains, the era of multinational investment in far-flung places is over. Right, the United States will not allow American companies to trade with China. That's over. Yeah. Now, what it means for countries like Ireland and European countries, in particular, particularly us, because we're we're the ultimate dinner party host when it comes to economics. We bring everybody in, <laughs> we feed them well, and we say stick around for a few <laughs> bottles of wine and pay a bit of tax. Yeah, yeah but, right? but bring that bottle of wine. Bring the bottle of wine. <laughs> we'll give you some puchin in it. Exactly. <laughs> we'll give you Rocky's Grandas puchin in return for your swanky wine, and all will be good, right? But what it means for countries like Ireland and, and other countries is that the era when American companies in particular were offshoring, yeah, right? Yeah. And were going to China. That's completely over. And what they're going to do is either those companies are going to come back to the United States, which is unlikely in the main, or they were actually going to double down on existing supply chain nodes where they really trust. Like Ireland. Exactly. So okay. the amazing thing is this is all... And the UK. It, so the UK... Be, the UK as well. The UK as well. Yeah. If they can get their act together, right? Yeah. If the UK decide that, all right, we are now going to attract in inward investment. At the moment, the UK is so befuddled, they don't know what they're at, yeah. okay? But eventually, somebody's going to turn up in the UK and say, listen, lads, you see the adults, we're back in the room, you kids now, off you go. Yeah, yeah. I'm well, they've got rid of, of bars now that he absolutely, you know, shot himself in the foot during the week. I didn't, I didn't see it, but apparently it was great stuff. Just, he was just shown up for being the buffoon and the liar that he is. But he I mean, is great. And people just kind of, we've had enough. We've had enough. But I tell you, so so what we're going to do is we're going to come back to this issue. But I think we should not underestimate the decade-long importance of what we're seeing now. That this meeting between Xi and Putin is going to dominate geopolitics and macroeconomics mm. for decades. Not for years, but this for decades. Yeah. And if you come back to the Spanish Civil War idea, is the reason that Hitler and Mussolini were so emboldened by their victory in the Spanish Civil War was that they then thought, aha, the West are weak. These are a bunch of dilettantes. They can't fight. All the stuff that Putin used to talk about. And again, what this does is it elevates dramatically the significance of Ukraine. Mm. So it means that Ukraine is now the fulcrum not for the next couple of months or even years, but the next few decades. And how that changes Europe, European 
foreign policy will change completely. Irish foreign policy will change. Not that people are particularly worried about Irish foreign policy, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> European budget deficits are going to go through the roof. It'll be a trillion dollar rebuild of Ukraine. Right. That will be financed by us. It'll be like German unification. European interest rates are going to go through the roof, right? Why? Because like German unification, you have to borrow a lot to rebuild Ukraine. And more importantly, Ukraine itself is going to be turned into probably a fortress first before it's turned into an right. economy. Yes, yeah, yeah. And all this crystallized this week, so it's a huge week, John. Jeez, Marker, this doesn't sound very um, positive, shall we say. But yeah. let's talk about this a little bit more, about the implications of this. Okay. After this. Great. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Okay, Mark, so could you say that this is the end of democracy as we know it? Well, no, no, no. I actually think, so I've got a totally different view, right? That I completely believe in the Western project, okay? And I think that liberal democracies have at their essence, and believe it or not, the market system has at its essence a fundamental value, which is you do not necessarily have to remain in the place you're born, in the station. So the promise of democracy and capitalism is you can actually rise up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And I think that basically China, although it looks very, very powerful now, what is on offer from the Chinese Communist Party is a redundant ideology, right, of communism. Okay, what is on offer? What, what they're trying but, to appeal but, but to this people. This is a brand new style of communism. I, I think 
I think we've reached peak China now. Mm. And I think that China is highly likely to repeat the trajectory of Japan. And that is that China has got old before it's got rich. And that was their big fear, that they would get old yeah. before they got yeah, rich. Yeah, we, we spoke about that before. And they actually. have got old before they've got rich. So what that actually means is the Chinese population is now declining. It means the Chinese population is getting much older. It means that what is on offer for China is an autocratic menu. And if you look at the way in which Japan recovered after the Second World War, between 1947 and 1967, the Japanese went from being destroyed to being the second largest economy in the world. And they did this with an extraordinary surge of exports. So they basically, America made Japan rich because the Americans bought Japanese goods. Mm. And then what the Japanese did in about 1980, 1985, is they got a rush of blood to the head and they switched from an exporting economy to a banking and real estate economy. And what they had was the most monumental property boom that the world has ever seen. So much so that at a certain stage in 1989, the area in Tokyo upon which the Imperial Palace was built was valued at higher than the entire state of California. Oh, really? <laughs> okay. Wow. wow. And then wow. they went bust and they've been picking up the pieces ever since. Mm. And what went into that mix also was the fact that the Japanese population peaked yeah. in the 80s. Yeah. So Japan is distinguished by many things, one of which is it is the only country in the world where they sell more geriatric nappies than babies' nappies. <laughs> which is not a nice thought, okay? No, it's not. So imagine now China. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It's all ahead of us, shiver, John. Shiver it's all ahead of us, John. You know, it's all ahead of us. I will be buying you, uh, what's the brand for nappies? Um, pampers or something. Pampers, yeah I'll, be, yeah. I'll be giving you presents of Pampers, Viagra and Pampers from now on, okay? But, so imagine what's happening in China. So India is now, as of last month, the world's most populous country. Mm. China is not. What is on offer? What is attractive about Putinism, right? Putinism and Xiism is only attractive to the people in power. It's not an attractive idea. You're not going to convert willing countries to this axis, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, no, doing, I get that. Yeah. You know, all it's doing is saying, you know, you as a citizen come very, very far down the line. We are, it's power play from the big guys at the top. And my sense is that I don't think that... I share some American commentators' view that China had to become democratic. It never became democratic. It never will. It's also the fact, the amazing thing about China is if you think of the continuity of rule, Yeah. China today has had a stable, think about this, reasonably stable political entity for 3,000 years. It would be equivalent to the pharaohs continuing to rule in Egypt now. Right? Yeah, in terms yeah, yeah. of, you know, so that's an amazing thing, right? But, and it's a big but, China has never expanded internationally, right? It has had a very strange relationship with expansion. We know that one of the great... Well, in the, that traditional colonialism... Yeah, it's never but, expanded out with... Tibet and Taiwan are the two exceptions. Well, Tibet being the major exception. Yeah, and, and, they, and they have little ports, though, in East Africa and in Sri Lanka and that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, they own the infrastructure, but I think that... One and there's the, a few Chinese chippers up the road. There's a lot of Chinese chippers. There's, there's a few spice bags up the road. Absolutely. A few <laughs> but if you think of the great tradition, you know, one of the great questions of economic history is in 1492, why was it European boats that sailed to America and not Chinese boats? 
right? Because, because the Europeans were not a particularly interesting power base. They were what they called polycentric. Mm. And polycentrism, and this is going to be the, the base of my argument. So polycentrism <laughs> means that you have many centers of power. So if you think of the European, so historians and economic historians try to look back and say, well, why actually did Europe, why was it three ships from Cadiz that went to America, Yeah, right? With a Genovese Italian skipper, Christopher Columbus, he wasn't even Spanish, right? Mm. And one of the many explanations is that polycentrism, meaning there were many centers of power. So in Germany, in the Holy Roman Empire, there were hundreds of little principalities. Then yeah. there was Portugal and Spain, two places on the same continent. Yeah, yeah. But at loggerheads, there was the Italian city-state structure, then there was England, all France, etc. France was obviously the biggest power. But polycentrism means there were many centers of power, and they were all competing with each other, right? All these little, small countries. Yeah. And what competition is all about is innovation. That's all it's about, right? The most innovative country wins the game. And people thought, well, why didn't China? The Chinese had, imagine with the Chinese, the Chinese had watches, they had gunpowder, they had paper currency, they had paper. They also had the biggest population. Yeah. So one would have thought that the country with the biggest population, the most stable internal political infrastructure, the most developed innovations, these are people who had well before we had, I mean, pasta comes from China. The Italians think it came from Italy. It actually comes from China. So, mm. so many things come from China. If you look, you know, all history of, of numerical ideas and mathematics all comes from China. Like everything comes from China. Yeah. And then why didn't they expand and conquer the world? Can, can I proffer? Yeah, you can. Uh, uh, well, I, I would say, isn't the key to life being content with your lot? That, that that doesn't mean that you're not innovative or ambitious in any sort of way, but it's being happy with looking around you and going, hey, we have good. We have. Yeah. That's one way. That's a very holistic, that's a very, uh, that's a very yoga mat approach, <laughs> right? Yes. Okay. So I bend myself in two. As John is on, you should see him now. He is doing downward dog, which is kind of shocking. He's in a, he's in a little cloth covering his nether regions. It's kind of yoga mat and kimchi approach, yeah, right? Yes. But I think maybe another interpretation is the following, is that the Chinese had all these innovations. So they were much better at mathematics than we were. They were much better at science. Mm. They had watches before we had, they had printing presses before we had. They had all these things, right, that we regard as moments of propulsion for Europeans. And I think what happened in China, well, I don't think, having read it, I I don't know it, but I, 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 this is what it seems to have happened, is that the bureaucrats in China, the Mandarin class, mm. were consistently afraid of the lower orders. So, for example, writing, although the Chinese had a calligraphy much more sophisticated than we ever had, they never disseminated it down. Mathematics, they never disseminated it down. Printing press, they never disseminated there it down. There wasn't like an educational system. There wasn't an education system. There right, was a Mandarin gotcha. system of highly, highly, highly evolved technocratic exams. But there wasn't this idea that you should actually teach and explain to the entire nation what's going on. Yeah. So there was no yearning. And, and there was no social movement upwards or downwards. Or because at the very, very essence of that culture was an idea that you are born in a station and that's where you remain. Mm. So the Europeans have quite a different tradition. 
and talk about the Reformation, we could talk about the Renaissance, all this. But essentially, the, the Germans have this expression called Stadluftmachtfrei, which means the city air makes you free. And it comes from medieval German towns. That what happened was people came into the towns in, in Germany and they were all imbibing of this, what they call the Stadtluft, the air in the city. Yeah. which was iconoclastic, which was engaging, which was democratic, all these ideas, right? And what you see is this overlap between democracy, small d democracy, okay, run by these small sure. civic councils yeah. and towns, right, and innovation. And at the crux of the whole thing is this relationship between the market, which Europeans embraced, to a greater or less extent, with its promise of upward social mobility. Mm. That's one of the great promises where we can we can discuss whether it's delivered or not, but one of the great promises of capitalism is that you can actually rise above your yeah. station, yeah. right? Yeah. And ally that to democracy, which is absolutely driven by the notion of all men being equal, one man, one vote. Mm. These are unbelievably attractive ideas. This is why I'm much more profoundly impressed by Napoleon than most other people, because that was his essential idea, that yeah. we have these systems. And implicit in that is an economic energy which drives economies forward, drives innovation and shunter sure. and all that sort of stuff. That is a very attractive proposition for everybody. What China and Russia are offering the world is an autocratic, almost feudal system where the citizen can't really expect, they can expect to do well financially, but they yeah. don't have any democratic rights. Yeah. Now, I think what's going to happen is that China's going to go into reverse. That, do you remember we talked about a while ago, total factor productivity? You might remember. I do remember that. John is delayed. He's actually now doing sun salutations on his yoga mat. <laughs> he's eating kimchi. I come back. This is hot yoga, by the <laughs> way. Very hot yoga. The bang off him with there's a shocking bang off him, right? But if I come back to this this idea that total factor productivity drives innovation and drives economics, right? So what the Chinese have done, I think, in a certain way, is they've done what the Russians did in the early 1950s. So there was a time Khrushchev went to the United Nations in 1961 and he took off his shoe and he banged it on the table yeah. and he said, "We will bury you." to the West, yeah. right? And what he was being informed by was the fact that in the 1950s, the Russian economy grew at 6, 7, 8%, much more substantially than the European or American oh, okay, economies. Right. But the misdiagnosis was the following, that what the Russians grew by just throwing people and capital at the problem. People and capital. Mm. So, for example, there has been no medicine ever discovered in Russia. This is an amazing thing. In Soviet Russia... Okay. Right, since the Soviet yeah. Union, there's been no new medicine ever discovered. Right? And yet they have grown, right? So what has happened is they don't they have the innovation. the first man to space. Yuri Gagarin. I have mm. a Yuri Gagarin t-shirt. <laughs> I have a Yuri Gagarin t-shirt, which I bought in Serbia. Only in Serbia can you buy t-shirts honoring the first man, the Russian cosmonaut. Yeah, but that, right? was, that was some achievement, though. That was some achievement. But again, it's a very interesting thing. So basically what that was doing was taking basic propulsion engineering yeah, and amplifying it as much as possible to, to basically yeah. break through, right? So absent innovation, what you tend to get is economic growth comes from, we spoke about it last time, throwing as much resources at the problem, people, capital, right? Yeah. 
But what makes capitalism interesting is you throw, it's the ratio between the resources you throw at the problem, at the innovation, yeah. and the outcome. Yeah. So the, the key to capitalism, fewer resources, bigger outcome. And I think what has happened in China is what they've done is to just throw in people at the problem. And the economy has grown because they have enormous amounts of cheap labor. But when you look at China, it still is a middle-income country. It's not a rich country. Okay. The well, collective is rich because there's loads of them. Okay. But the people aren't rich. Yeah, I, I get all of that. And just to, again, proffer a different view here, Yeah, is that, as we talked about on Tuesday, our banking system. Our banking system is... So, so uh, the flip side of that is there's stability, on a, a sort of stability in Russia and China amongst the population. There's but, a lot of stability. But in the West... There's less stability, more risk, sure, more reward for some, but that disparity between rich and poor and a really fragile banking system is less attractive well, now. Well, I mean, the most unequal countries in the world are South Africa and Russia. The disparity between rich and poor in Russia is off the scale, sure, right? Sure. And the same now it seems to be emerging in China. Actually, I think we should even end here, but it's a really interesting point, John. So what you've said is that our friend, a friend of the family, friend of the podcast, Nassim Taleb. Yes. In his really interesting book, Anti-Fragile, it's, a very, it's well worth reading. He talks about the fact that societies that put stability above all else, as you said, Russia and China, mm. outward and inward stability, and societies that really try to avoid shocks and trouble and any sort of what they would call an economic disequilibrium or disruption, right? Those are those societies. Yeah. Try to keep a lid on them. Become inherently much more fragile, right? So the idea here, keeping your head, you know this sort of a mollycoddle child, you know these children, right? We've all kids, right? Yeah, yeah. You watch different parents having different attitudes to their children. And certain parents have these attitudes that when the child is between the age of five, three or four or five, and 14... Don't let them out. Don't let them walk to school. Don't let them on a bicycle. Don't play football because you might get mm -hmm. hurt. Don't yeah. do this. Wear a feckin' helmet. Yada, 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 right? Yeah. Those children tend to find the real world very difficult because they haven't learned the coping strategies that street kids sure. learn. Sure. Street kids, right? So, for example, when you when you when you drive around Dublin in the morning, if you do, particularly on a Vespa, so you drive past these particular, you have a little kid trussed up in a car seat, the sort of which the car seat now, right, was mm. far more secure than the seat in which Yuri Gagarin went to the moon on. Yes, right? Okay. true, <laughs> Okay. So imagine this, right? That's imagine that good. car street, right? So the little fecker is in the car seat, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. He's got an iPad in front of him. His mother won't let him walk across the road, right? Yeah. He doesn't learn how to cross the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His mother won't let him walk to school. He doesn't know sure, how to no, walk I get to the, school. I get the point. I get so the point. So the idea is that societies, and this is the great thing about democracies and the market, that I, you know, I'm not, you know, people call me neoliberal. I'm a paleoliberal. I'm an ancient liberal, right? I, yeah. I believe in old-fashioned liberals. The societies that allow us to make mistakes, so have banking crisis, have shocks, have immigration, deal with it, have recessions, right? those societies become inherently much more stable because they become much less fragile. Mm. And I think the societies like Russia and China are becoming, in their very, very pursuit of stability, they are becoming fragile. 
And when they are hit, like, like Japan a few years ago, when mm-hmm. they are going to be hit with a shock, those societies will atrophy much more than our societies. And I go back, we'll con- conclude here. It's the difference between the kid who reaches 18 or 20 and has been allowed to do what they want and has found out what works and how it doesn't work. Yeah. And the kid who is in that car seat, that child is much more likely to find the world difficult when they actually go out into the world because they haven't learned the strategies. So, John, I mean, the difference, and I know it's got warts and all, and people say we've got these problems and that problems, but the difference between democracies and autocratic systems is that democracies learn. Democracy is a giant, giant process of trial and error. Okay, things work, things don't work, right? Yeah. Autocracy, there's no trial and therefore no error. And no error looks good on the outside, but you've only no error because you've no trial. And therefore, I believe, looking forward, if we are going to go into this big war between the West and this China and Russia axis, why I believe the West is going to win is because we are much less fragile than they are. And that's what's going to prove absolutely instrumental in the coming decade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.